Hey everyone, and welcome back to your Money Your Life podcast. I think we're at episode 194, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, episode 194. Before we get into it, make sure you like, subscribe, five-star rate, and review the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the notification bell and subscribe as well. We'll get right into the market update of the week. We got a lot to cover. Um, first and foremost, we're talking about the market. So I'm going to pull up a handy dandy chart um, showing us where we sit for the week. Um, the market just opened actually as well, um, a little bit green. So we'll touch on that. Uh, but if you look at our chart, first thing you'll see um, for the week, once we get the chart working here, computer's moving a little bit slow. Um, for the five, last five days, um, we're about last five trading days, about down 1.15, um, 1.54%, excuse me. Um, again, a little bit of context to it. Um, We've seen um, a little bit of volatility um, for a few reasons. Um, we have more data on jobless claims. And jobless claims, initial filings for unemployment benefits dipped last week, indicating that the U.S. labor remains strong. We've talked about that correlation to the labor market, CPI, PCE, what the Fed plans to do, policymakers plan to do. Um, and we're seeing that the labor market still is rough, relatively strong um, and Jerome Paul is supposed to be speaking today, if I'm not mistaken, um, and telling us um, a little bit more uh, about what's going on with the policymakers and what they're going to decide to do going forward. Policymakers being the Fed Reserve Board members who decide the policy um, on our market. So we'll see more information from them. Manufacturing, manufacturing index also rose five points in October, uh, but remained in contraction territory at minus line, nine lower than the one minus 6.8 forecast. So again, all this data points are crucial to understand what the Fed's doing. And another data point is a treasury yield. The 10-year that we're looking at is nearing 5%. We talked about the long 30-year bond, which is a lot of uh, an indication of what investors are thinking as far as confidence in the market sometimes. Um, so that's one to watch. Remember, we went back to the chart on a year-to-day basis, still up roughly 12% and had a good year so far. We'll see if the last quarter closes it out that way. Um, but again, since late July, we've seen a little bit of a, again, a near term pullback, um, since late July. So that's our market update. We'll dump, jump right in to our stories. The first was a childcare story. U.S. childcare costs are rising, hits almost 40 K per, per, per year. I think that's an annual number. So for all the child folks out there, we have many, many great clients with children, but there's a new bank of America analysis finds the average monthly childcare payment in September was 32% higher than the average monthly payment in 2019. So on an annual basis, it roughly hits 40,000 in larger cities like New York, it's 45,000, a little bit higher. That's understandable being in bigger cities, different things, different compensation, all that stuff. It's usually a lot. It's usually a little bit more expensive in a bigger city, but that's something to know because we've looked at it. And I just did a, a great um, workshop for AMZ, um and military families and, um, we talked a little bit about families and just in general, how you plan for it, how you save for kids, what account types, it's all preferential, but I do send people a, a, a report on, it breaks down the different account types, different uh, pros and cons and all that good stuff. Again, it's preferential, but for advisors, they can manage account types for custodials. The 529 is a state plan. So it's really um, pre preferential and they have some different leniences depending on where you think your child will do or what you think you want your child to do in when that money goes to them. So next we're going to focus in 
our next story on Netflix. So they raised their prices because they saw growth. They tacked on another 8.8 million paying members in Q3, far more than the 6 million that the analysts expected. So let's read in on this story because Netflix subscribers, and it's just an interesting company to watch and how well they're doing. Um, so um, again, that surge in third quarter subscriber numbers, um, they're going to raise their price in the US, the UK, and France, and their stock was trading a lot higher based on this news. Um, they're up 14% currently on the day because they did well. They added subscribers, which is the main thing, number that investors are going to look at. They're going to be able to raise prices because they have decent retention, uh, really strong retention, um, and subscriber growth as well. So they're even raising prices. Um, and so the US, uh, so the, the premium plan, the basic and premium plans will now cost $11 almost 12 and $23 respectively in the U S. Um, and they said their starting point is extremely competitive with other streamers. Um, but the and analysts like that because they're able to raise prices and grow. Um, they're, they're doing it globally as well. Um, uh, going streaming globally. So 2.4 million, 2.4 million was global streamers that were added out of that 8.8, I believe. Um, and so they're really, really trying to um, again grow in all markets. Free cash flow was almost two billion, um, so they have a lot of cash, and the balance sheet is strong. Again, they're they're performing right. Um, and I'm, I was looking at the chart on them earlier year to date, just doing decently after this nice jump um, on the subscriber news. The one year chart here will look also looks nice for them as well. So five year, I'm curious on the five year. Um, five year, not bad as well. Five year, not bad. Um, so, you know, we're, we're keeping an eye on what, what companies like Netflix are doing. Uh, cause I think it's super, super important. Another thing that we've been keeping an eye on is the mortgage demand, the housing market mortgage demand hit another low. Um, it's the lowest level since 1995. So that's the mortgage purchase demand. People looking for mortgages look to purchase houses more than likely. Um, it hit 8%. Mortgage rate hit 8% for the first time since 2000. Um, and so really, we've talked about this this dichotomy in the housing market. What does the Fed want? Does the Fed want the housing market to slow down a little bit? Because that would slow down the numbers on CPI. So that's another interesting take. How do you slow numbers on the housing market? Um, I don't know. Potentially, if people aren't buying houses if they don't feel well in their jobs. What does the Fed think about that? That's another thing to think about. So we talked about it. We'll keep an eye on the mortgage demand going forward. Another thing to keep an eye on, and we 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 hold the moment of silence for the right aid workers, but right aid may not survive. They filed a Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, um, and they're it's raising doubts that they'll be able to re remain in business. They're going to close 154 underperforming stores. Um, they're unloading their elixir, their pharmacy business, um, and they lost more than one billion in the most recent quarter. Um, and they're looking to restructure about $4 billion in debt. So again, all these things are concerning because it's a company that may not survive. It may put people that are in areas where their Rite Aid was their only pharmacy in a pharmacy desert, as they call it, because they cannot get close enough to their most closest pharmacy building or store anymore. So especially when you deal with pharmacies, medical health care, it's always um, you know touchy because we don't want people to be out of places they go to their solace, their health care, their needs. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that story. One thing we also are keep an eye on is Disney. Disney's breaking out their ESPN financials for the first time. They they don't do that at, from what we've seen. But on a filing Wednesday, 
they decided to say, all right, we're going to break it out. The filing showed that revenue declined 4.4 billion in the first quarter. It's about 4.06. Um, the third quarter, Disney has been seeking a potential strategic partner for ESPN. So the reason why they're probably breaking out the finances of ESPN, which they said um, that the ESPN business, most of its revenue comes from charge from carrier fees. It charges cable TV providers. So the cable TV providers um, to carry ESPN, they're going to be charged a fee. To advertising on ESPN, you're going to be charged a fee. And it's actually shown that ESPN does well on the profits. Um, they bring in less revenue than Disney Studios, so the studio side, right? But they bring in... Uh, more profits. It's more profitable business. Do the studios burning cash has a lot of expenses trying to create content. Um, but if you look at it, ESPN is a more profitable business. So they're looking to spin out ESPN, meaning Disney, the head company looking to spin out ESPN. That's why they're breaking out the financials. Cause they're saying, all right, everybody take a look into what this business is value, valued at, right? What are our profits? Uh, what do we think our profits are? Um, and if, if we like them, if you like them, here they are. Maybe you want to purchase. So ESPN delivered more than $16 billion for Disney's fiscal year 2022 um, and $2.9 billion in profit. The vast majority of that came from the um, domestic business. By comparison, Disney's entertainment business, which includes streaming services, uh, linear TV network, and TV media studios, brought in $40 billion um, in revenue and $2.1 billion in profit. So a lot of expenses there on the, on the, Disney, on the services side, excuse me, on the entertainment business side, linear, uh, linear TV networks and TV and movie studios. So um, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. I think that's an interesting story to, to kind of watch going forward. There was a couple other news. One being that HSBC, a bank, um, they're actually banning texting on work phones. So regulators have been cracking down on big companies using, you know, their cell phones for like their business stuff. Um, texting, I should say, primarily because it's hard to record and keep records of that, which they want, they're supposed to be able to do. Um, HSBC is a mega bank and they're disabled texting on its employees' work phones. So if they're one of those employees that have a work and personal phone that are one, they can't text anymore. They have to go get a whole other phone because they're banning texting on work phones. Financial institutions are required to keep those records. Um, and so they're banning it. I, I think that's really interesting. Another story I found interesting and or weird, Elon Musk and X, formerly known as Twitter, they said to battle boss, they're going to charge people $1 a year. New Year's is $1 a year. They're going to start doing it in New Zealand and the Philippines, and they're probably going to roll it out worldwide. Um, they said it's going to be New Year's first, but I'm assuming they're going to make it for everyone. He's just looking for ways to get subscription revenue because advertising revenue on X is really, really down. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to watch. They lose a lot of users from that. I just potentially see they're having a, a rather significant dip, um, because of that, that policy. What's not having a dip is sports and NBA tickets, NFL viewership. They're on a tear. So the NBA said that the ticket sales to start of the season are 60% higher than this time last year. StubHub says that it's expected to draw more than 2x the number of international fans. So international fans are getting into the game. That's how the NFL is doing three or four games a year in Europe because they want to get international fans. They actually probably want to move the Jaguars out to London because uh, the owner of the Jaguars, I think, is a London um, native. So 
And if you look at the viewership numbers on the NFL, they're incredibly high this year. It's a mixture of pop culture, gambling, all these different things that are driving viewership up when it comes to sports. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, fantasy football update. I don't think I've given folks an update in a while. We have one individual that's winning. He's undefeated. All right. I'm actually in, I'm in a horrible fantasy football year so far. One in five, bottom of the league. Can I turn around and make the playoffs? Stay tuned. I'm going to try everything I can. But we've been getting crushed. And it's not me as the manager, the strategy. It can't be me. It's the players. I picked them there and showing it up. But they're going to turn it around. They're going to turn it around. We'll see. Um, with that said, we are going to jump into our question of the week. And we have a lot. We're going to rapid fire them and see how you do with the answer. The first one being, can you name at least five passwords that are most common that people use? Say it in your head slowly. Five of them. Oh, we have answers. The first one is guest, not guess, guess. That's the first password. The next one's one, two, three, four, five, six. Third is password. Next is one, two, three, four, five. Next is A, one B, two C, three. So it's all a combination of these letters, numbers, easy, super easy. Um, that's what people are out there doing as the most common, I'll say, as the most common, but we don't know if they are still utilizing that. The next question. What do 98% of consumers do prior to buying a product? Online reviews, read online reviews. If you said that, you are so correct. Um, so, so correct on that one. Next being, and we're going to switch over to the fraud lane. What generation is more likely to fall for online scams? Baby boomers or Gen Z? I said Gen Z and the, co the correct answer, if you said Gen Z as well, you are correct. Um, Gen Z is three times likely as boomers to fall for an online scam Twice as likely as boomers to get hacked on social media. Um, that that rings true to me. That rings true. According to the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, what type is what is the most common type of fraud? Um, I was going to say some sort of Ponzi scheme, but it's imposter scams. I don't know what that means, um, but that is the most most uh, most common. So, folks, we appreciate you for being a common um, listener every week, one and only. Your Money Your Life podcast. Make sure you share with family, friends, because um, we do this every week and we will see you um, next week.